Welcome to the Laravel IO podcast. Uh, this is Sean McCool. I'm here with Taylor Otwell. Hey, guys. And Jeffrey Way. Hey, guys. First order of business, uh, Laracon's coming up, and you both are going to be there. Yes, I am. I will be there. That's exciting news, uh, because for a while there, it, it wasn't looking like you were going to be able to make it. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. I uh, was riding in the car. I don't think I've even told you this, Sean. I was riding in the car, and uh, we were just kind of sitting, like, at a stoplight or something, and I had, like, a tweet uh composed up to you saying like i'll be at Laracon or whatever and i was like really trying to decide if i should send it and my wife just like hit send like before i could even do anything <laughs> so then i was like i was totally committed which i don't regret but it's just kind of interesting she kind of uh made the decision for me yeah once that's out there uh on twitter it's kind of hard to pull it back yeah it's over now is the whole snappy team coming like is eric going to be there uh i know ian will be there but eric won't be there okay that's too bad. Um, we actually have an incredible amount of the, the Lara, uh, Laravel community, like the, the active members, uh, going to be there, and it's just going to be crazy. The, the yeah. uh, American conference was really cool because we got to meet everybody, but there are so many more people that we know online uh, that are going to be there this time that we're going to meet it in person. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, even for me, I think there's more people this time that I know from IRC and stuff than there was last time. Like, um some of the speakers like Phil Sparks, who's been around forever and uh, is actually not a comic book character, apparently, is going to be there. And then also a few other speakers uh, that I've known online but haven't met. So that's going to be fun. I always kind of thought Phil Sparks was a, was a stuffed monkey. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, Phil goes back about as far as I can remember with Laravel. It was yeah, Phil I'm... and Dale at the beginning, and I don't know anyone before then other than yeah. you, of course. Yeah, Phil is definitely the oldest, I want to say, uh, like kind of prominent member of the community, like oldest kind of pseudo leader of the community. Yeah, I'm excited for the conference, though. I get so stressed out about it. Like, I don't know why I sign up for these things, because every time I just I'm like a stress ball leading up. <laughs> so I'm glad yeah. I'm speaking on day one, because day two, that means I can just enjoy it and not have tons of anxiety. But. So I didn't actually have a chance to ask you guys, are you comfortable with the schedule? <laughs> yeah, it looks good to me. Yeah, I'm on day one, so th I'm happy with that. Yeah, we we put a lot of thought into it, but it's you end up like just circling around, like second yeah. guessing every little detail that probably doesn't actually matter to anyone at all. Yeah, it ends up being a little arbitrary. Although at Laracon US, uh, Phil Sturgeon's spot was not arbitrary uh, because I knew he would be battling, um, you know, some uh, headaches <laughs> and other nausea th that morning. So I put him at like four in the afternoon. That's smart. And we also have Fa we also have Fabian for uh, Laracon EU, which we haven't. Yeah, talked about. Yeah, I was good with the conference until I heard Fabian was going to be there, and then my stress level went up like times ten. So is that how you officially <laughs> pronounce his name? Oh, that's how. How should I say it? No, I'm asking. That yeah, that's how I've always said it in my head. You know, I'm one of those people. I read a lot of books, and then when I talk about them with others, I have the names just ridiculously like Americanized. <laughs> yeah. So how how do you say it? Um well, I was I was thinking it'd be like Fabian or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Well, I'll cool. I'll just uh go and watch more videos of him and then <laughs> aggregate, you know, figure out who says what and then which whoever has the most count, I'll go with that one. Yeah, he's a really <laughs> good speaker, so that's going to be that's going to be really cool. 
Yeah, I'm super excited to have him there. And, and honestly, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, we have, um, like really prominent lead developers of like three major frameworks yeah. at the <laughs> conference. So it's like, uh, yeah. of course, you and Laravel and, uh, Fabian and Symphony and then, uh, Frank Deonga and Fuel PHP. Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't know he'd be here. Yeah. He's, he's giving a talk on, um, you know, what we can learn from, uh, what other communities doing with other languages and other tool sets and stuff that applies to us as well. So, you know, crossover knowledge type stuff. Yeah. I think we've had some of that with, um, just some people being exposed to like grunt and guard and stuff for assets. We've kind of been pulling from other ecosystems there. Yeah. I'm super excited. Uh, Jeffrey, I saw your, uh, screencast the other day. The one that talked about, um, like something like beware of MVC. Yeah, that was my tribute to to Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I saw that and I was like, oh great, um, we we've, we've got to get this out there because I I think it's really uh, it really speaks to kind of where a lot of people kind of are right now uh, in, in the channel uh, the Laravel support channel and it just um, uh, people come in they have a lot of questions about you know what to do. Because they're coming from, you know, other frameworks and, uh, you know, cultures where either it goes into the controller, it goes into a model, or it goes into a view, and that's just how it is. Yeah, and you're not allowed to create any other folders. That yeah. comes up yeah. on IRC all the time. Can I create a folder? Yes, you can create a folder. Do whatever you want. But uh, yeah. I don't think people realize that initially. So, yeah, yeah it's a good video to have. Go ahead, Taylor. Or even just defining your own functions. Like a lot of times I'll get requests for like a little helper function that's just like one line, you know, and I'll just kind of try to remind people, you know, you can still define functions like we didn't disable that feature in PHP with Laravel. So it's kind of a strange thing, too, because you get an idea and it really makes sense to you. And you you think ah, you kind of take ownership of this idea and you try to get it into the framework. You're like, I'm going to contribute. And and I've been I've done this like a hundred times where I had some brilliant idea and then, uh, you you know, nobody else thought it was a good idea. And so I kind of (laughs) I kind of put my head down and walk down the street. But uh, that's the best part. You, You file an issue or a pull request and Taylor's like. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. This week was my uh, Laravel week at work, which Ian um, Ian gives me the last week of the month for pretty much Laravel stuff. And uh, this week, actually, we I would say there were more community contributions than contributions from me. So, like, all of the code that went in this week was almost exclusively community code, and I did like a, a few things, but mainly it was just merging community stuff, which was kind of cool. There's, there has been a lot of issues pop up. I have, I, I have them all delivered to my mailbox, and so I'm reading through them all the time. And yeah, it's, it's, it's getting pretty heavy. Is it maybe a little bit too heavy for you? Uh, it's not too bad. Um, a lot of the issues are really not what I would consider like critical issues. Like, it's not like we get a lot of issues like this is totally broken, you know, or this doesn't work at all. Um, usually it's pretty minor stuff, but. So it hasn't been too bad. Um, some of the slower thing, some of the things that take a while are like if I get a poor request for something that's like related to SQL Server or something like I don't have ready access to, mm-hmm. you know, just in a few minutes, that can kind of start to bog down the issues because I kind of have to wait for other people to test it and to, uh, or just kind of break down and set up like an Azure database myself. 
So uh, it sounds like a great way that people can contribute to um, <clears throat> if they use a lot of Microsoft server software or something and they're using Laravel, they might be able to do some testing on the, that kind of feature in the, in the repository or rather in GitHub. Yeah, definitely. Like I've tried to recruit like a SQL server kind of ambassador and like a few other people have wanted DB2, which is IBM's enterprise database. But really, I would I've used DB2 personally at my um, at a previous job, but I would need like a DB2 kind of representative to make sure like everything's looking good because I'm not going to be able to verify every pull request, obviously. Yeah. And I would even think outside of that, one thing that must be difficult is kind of filtering through the, the pull requests that are, are nice to haves, but you just can't keep adding and adding and adding. So you yeah. have to decide like, yeah, this might be nice. Even like an example, like the, uh, those new form select helpers, like if yeah. you get too much of that stuff, then it's like, okay, the framework is just too overwhelming at this point. So that's yeah. got to be kind of difficult to to choose which things belong and which things just don't need to be there. Yeah, I think a big goal for the for like the coming months up until November, which is when we'll release 4.1, is I've got to develop better documentation and better facilities around building packages. Like it has to be very easy because I, if I can like really get the barrier of entry super low on packages, then I think people aren't going to be as inclined to just fire up a pull request or or whatever they'll they'll uh just make a package for something so even with form stuff like a lot of form stuff can be packaged packaged yeah. up and like everything really i mean yeah it, it's just the way that laravel 4 is constructed you can just tap into anything you you can pull open a, a service provider that the system is using and, and extend yeah. that and override something and, and then comment it out in your config and throw in your own service provider. I've yeah. used packages that changed the way the pagination works, that it was just a matter of adding it to Composer, uh, JSON, and then adding it to the config file. It just worked. It's, um, I, I think it's a lot more extend, extendable than a lot of people maybe realize. It's yeah. difficult, though, because you're having to release a framework that appeals to, like, high-level people who know you can easily pull in a package, add the service yeah. provider, and you're done. But then you have the people that are, like, this is their first framework, and they haven't even gotten to that point of, of learning about packages. So, yeah, yeah. that's got to get tough at that point. Yeah, and, I mean, the facades thing is kind of related to that where you're trying to cater to people who, you know, there's a group of people coming from like CodeIgniter and Fuel who they just want to like have real quick syntax, and that's kind of the cool thing about the static, so to speak, um, syntax. But then you have to cater to a whole group of other people who are really concerned about like extensibility and like swapping out parts in the IOC container. And so the facade was kind of a middle ground there. But I think as we, the the more we can lower the barrier of entry for package development, the better really for everyone. I think. Yeah. Although it's so much easier than Laravel 3. I mean, it, really what you have right now is good. Maybe it could be better, but yeah. it's so much better than what it used to be. Well, the thing I like about Laravel 4's package system is all of the core pieces are packages, and they're not like special packages that have special privileges or something. They're like regular packages. So anything that Laravel core does, a package could do in theory. So that just kind of goes to show like how powerful a package can be, really, because every aspect of Laravel 4 is a package. And you can really see that when you go into your uh, config and your app config file, and you can yeah. see that whole list of providers. Uh, you you know you can just pull up one of those providers and see how that section of the framework is bootstrapped. 
Yeah, reading through, like if you read through every system provider, you would gain a, a lot of knowledge about how Laravel works. Like just kind of skimming through each provider and seeing what they kind of bind into the container and what they do, that would really enlighten enlighten people on how Laravel works under the hood. So can we talk for a second, Taylor, about the book that you recently released? Yeah. So um, I haven't read it entirely. Um, I've been working on it, but uh, with Laracon coming up, like, it just boggles my mind how much time it actually takes to do this conference, uh, especially yeah. as we get close to, to the, the actual event. But um, it, seem, it's, it seems like a really cool, no-nonsense uh, book where, you know, there, there, there's no stories, there's nothing, there's just, hey, here's an idea, just one after another until until the book's done, right? Yeah, yeah. So the book, um, I'll just give a quick intro in case people don't know a lot about it. But the book is called Laravel 4 from Apprentice to Artisan. But the, I've I kind of realized the title might be a little misleading in the sense that it doesn't start very basic. Like it starts pretty advanced, even from the very first chapter and kind of covers dependency injection in the IOC container. And then just some various patterns for kind of setting up complex Laravel applications. And uh, I've kind of made a note in the book that the book really caters to large applications and smaller applications might, it's probably a little bit of um, too much overhead for a smaller application, like generating all these interfaces and repositories and stuff. But for large applications, like for what I've been working on with Userscape, Snappy and stuff like that, those patterns are definitely a must have. Otherwise our controllers would just be humongous, you know, and our models would too. So when you're saying a large project, you're saying something like where uh, programmers are hired and that's their full-time job. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, probably multiple people working on the project, like two or three people are on the project and you've got like a front end guy and a back end guy, you know, a, a real, a real project, not like a little kind of hackathon type thing, but a, a real product you're building that's going to have several people working on it. It comes up on IRC all the time. So it's yeah. like it's, these are really good patterns, but then people think they're building a blog and suddenly they need to to yeah. scale like a hundred times over. And it's like you just don't really need that if you can build this whole project in a weekend. Yeah. But, um, or like know. with uh, with Eric Barnes, who has the wardrobe, that new wardrobe blog system built on Laravel 4, which I built a lot of the back end on that. And um, the reason that's really abstracted is we wanted to let people inject any back end they wanted into the blog system. So like it ships with the database back end, but we wanted people to be able to swap in like a Redis or a um, or whatever else, a flat Mongo file. or yeah, flat file back end. So that's why that was very abstracted. But for most like, if you're going to write your own personal blog or whatever, and you know what storage system you're pretty much always going to use, then yeah, there's a lot of overhead. And I was mm -hmm. in, I was in the car, um, I was in the car earlier and just kind of thinking about, um, you know, we we hear a lot of people they want to know where do I put this file or where do I put that file, where do I define this, and those are always really hard questions to answer because in a lot of ways there is no right answer and we're still kind of discovering the best way to do things. You know, even I'm still kind of feeling out, you know, for better ways to set up large Laravel applications. And I was kind of, I kind of thought of this nerd example, like if you're playing like a, like an RPG or something like an RPG game and once your character's like maxed out level wise and you're kind of looking for like that perfect set of EQ or whatever equipment, and like a lot of times it just depends, you know, on what you want to do. And there's different different styles of approaching things. And um, 
in a lot of ways you kind of have to develop your own what works for you or your own style of structuring an application. And I think the book gives you the book gives you a good um, kind of baseline and good foundation. But I don't think you should be afraid to part from the book or to even approve upon the book or try different things. You know, don't feel locked in like this is, you know, Laravel scripture, so to speak, and you, it can never be broken. So basically, I just tried to set out and say, this is what I did basically on Snappy. This is how I set up the product, and it's worked pretty well for us. We've been able to make changes, you know, pretty easily, and the foundation has stayed pretty clean. And it's worked out well for me and Eric, too, having a, having that kind of setup. So it's almost like the book's target is to, like, break the mindset uh, that, you know, somebody might have had coming from um, other projects or other systems and then throwing out a couple things that just make you think. Yeah. Yeah, the book would definitely be thought-provoking, I think, for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I think to get you thinking is one of the main goals and to kind of push you further along, but at the same time not feeling locked into any certain structure. I've actually found a similar thing because, as you guys know, I, I do a lot of, like, teaching. And so it's it's very difficult when you're teaching newcomers. Like, you want to show them what will get them going. You know, it's like you don't teach a newcomer by showing them repositories in Laravel. You know, you just show them how yeah. easy it is to use. Just create a model, and then you can immediately have access to those eloquent methods. So that's helpful, but it's always like you want to tell them, just file this away in the back of your mind right now why this might be an issue. So I find myself yeah. coming back, especially like testability concerns. Like if you're showing somebody how to, you know, grab all records from some table, obviously the yeah. thing you would do is just say post all, but then you have to say like, now file this away. What would be the problem with this if we wanted to swap this out with something else? We'd have to go back and change this code everywhere. So yeah, yeah it's... Yeah, it's I think I think sometimes people too get the wrong idea, like the wrong idea of how I might code something. So like say it's like some weekend and I have some product I did and I'm just gonna build like a real quick hacked up version and um to see what I think about the idea, some new SaaS product I thought of. I'm like probably not gonna write a single test for that thing. You know what I mean? It's just gonna be like hacked together. There's just gonna be database calls in the middle of controllers and it's not like I'm gonna code it as pure as possible just to try something out for myself or to build a little side project. So, you know, don't think I'm uh, coding to absolute <laughs> purity standards on every product I write. You know, it's just about what you're doing at the time. And the book is kind of geared towards, you know, like I said, a, a big, serious project. And I say that several times throughout the book, you know, to not don't get bogged down on this stuff if you're writing just like a little, you know, 100 line web app. Well, I think it's not only that. I, I really subscribe to the whole concept of lean development. Um, and when I started out developing something, you know, I might, you know, because I've been making web apps for a long time and because I've, um, you know, I have I have some experience, I might know exactly some of the parts that have to be built. So I just go for it when it comes to that. But a lot of the times maybe I'm making a, a repository class or something, but it's just a class. I don't have the interfaces. I don't have anything. And I just... I code it kind of not so much necessarily in, in the way that it would be in an optimal um, object-oriented design capacity, but more yeah. in a way that it's working and it's not terrible. But yeah. the most important part for me is can I easily change this to make it optimal later if I want to? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so point. much to be said for being able to get going fast. I mean, that's what makes Laravel so good 
And so yeah. especially some of us, like if we're doing side projects, it's probably going to be on the weekend. So just the ability to get going very, very fast is, is really important. Yeah, definitely. And that's the, I mean, that's kind of Laravel's, that's always been the philosophy, right? With like the routing and eloquent and stuff and blade, it's just like super rapid. So I don't want to, I don't want the book. I feel like I'm not selling the book right like, on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, the book is really good, but I don't want people to take the book as saying, forget all that rapid stuff that Laravel's known for. You just, that's all crap. You need to go a lot slower. I don't know. I'm doing a sucky job at selling this book, guys. Honestly, <laughs> I think that, you know, the, the idea is there, there's more maybe to, um, there, there's some more algorithms out there than you yeah. maybe know about. And here's some, some, uh, information that based on the experience that we have supporting Laravel and just, uh, yeah. being in a web development community in general, uh, here's stuff that seems to be like it could be a, a, a real value to people. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it this way. If you're building a project and you're finding it that it's getting hard to maintain, then you should read the book, basically. <laughs> right. It, it might have some good ideas for you. But also, if your goal is to test, I mean, I know we're talking about yeah. getting going fast, but if you do want to test, you basically have to do this stuff. Yeah. It's Especially. Okay tests. Yeah, <laughs> Can I ask you a question? I wrote a book Jeffrey? on it and I hate it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, do you write web apps very frequently? Yeah. Um, how often would you say you test first and how often would you say you just don't test, uh, bits of your code? Yeah, that was when I, when I was writing my book, that was one of the hard things is you have to, like, you have to teach people, but also let them know, like, look, this is sort of like Taylor was saying, this is one way to go about it. And everyone disagrees. So you have these people that say you're unprofessional if you're not doing test first development. Tons of people like Uncle Bob would say that. But then you have other people. Uh, like the creator of Rails, DHH, he would say like he doesn't really do it as much. Maybe 50% of the time he'll test first and the other 50% he doesn't. So it's really hard to write a book and teach people, but also let them know like, okay, this is more meant for you to figure out how you want to work this into your development or how to work this with your team, you know? Do you think if somebody's starting with development, like they they love the idea of automated, or I'm not starting with development, starting with testing, they love the idea of automated testing and definitely can see how they have to be manually testing things all the time and they can overlook things and all the problems involved with that. Do you think that it makes sense for people to start with acceptance testing first as opposed to unit testing? Yes. Actually, if I could write my book again, I would cover acceptance testing first. That's like far and away the easiest way. If you want to test your app, just go from the outside in. So tools like uh, Codeception, which is getting bigger and bigger, are really good for that. So you can basically write in this easy syntax, this simple API, go to this page, and I expect to see this when I call this URI. It's as simple as that. So I think that would be the way to go. That that will get your feet wet. And then I think you know, you'll get into it more and more, and you'll start learning like, oh, if I had a test for this, I wouldn't have been pulling my hair out at this point. You know, So it's not something where like you have to test everything first. You don't have to have tests for your models and your views and your controllers and every other class, and you don't need acceptance tests and functional and unit. It's incredibly overwhelming, and that's why I bet if we did a true stat of uh, PHP, most people don't do it. Like You have the frameworks where they have to have tests, but I would imagine most applications people just don't, and the biggest reason, I think, is because it's so overwhelming. So definitely start with acceptance tests, it's very simple. You can even use Selenium or um, command line based tests. And then once you're into that, you can move on to other stuff. I, Definitely. On a recent project, I had a, um, 
uh, an, an intermediate level developer using Codeception. And I found that if you have kind of some user stories kind of laid out already, you can, you know, write like 20 acceptance tests in like a day, you know, just knock out some, you know, all of your user stories or something like that in, in like a day. And, and that means that every time, you know, you're thinking about deploying your code, you run all your acceptance tests and, you know, you have a reasonable idea that these features are working. Right. But then you have to be careful because obviously once you get to the point where you have so many acceptance tests, your tests are going to take a really long time to run. But I, I think that's good, actually. We, we have all these ideas of why acceptance testing isn't ideal and why you should be unit testing most of your app. But it's helpful, I think, for people to see for their own eyes where acceptance testing falls short. Because I think if, if you're just getting started into into this idea of testing, acceptance testing makes sense. It's, it's exactly the way you would approach it or, or one of your colleagues would approach it if they're making sure your app works. But then you start to realize, like, oh, you know what, this makes this a lot difficult more difficult to test, or, you know, this broke, and now I have absolutely no idea why that broke. And if you had unit tests, then you would know. But, yeah, I think people just need to find for themselves when it's appropriate to move on to these additional styles of testing. And that's difficult because, like, in the Ruby on Rails world, as as we know, they are so um, authoritative about everything having tests or being tests first. And I think that's difficult for PHP developers because that's not really in our DNA uh, at least not yet. Well, um, we're getting there. You know, I, I run a company, and basically we have to make things for clients. And, and so I'm dealing with, um, you know, like the realities of development on, on a regular basis. So, you know, while it, it may be okay for us to to handle testing in a way that we feel is perfectly appropriate, in, in reality, not everybody is going to be able to say, okay, boss, I'm going to do testing like this, or I'm new to testing, and it's going to take me a while. Because if you are new to testing, it's going to take you a while to get on that horse. You know, I know that it. I had to learn a lot of stuff to, to start testing, and then I had to learn how what I knew about testing was all wrong, and I had to start over, you know. And um, I think that in reality, you know, while unit testing is obviously the, – the value is obviously there, I don't think it's something that's just accessible to everybody. I don't think it's just something you can just start doing right away. And I think that if you can get uh, some level of testing in there to really kind of see and get experience and to have that tool, then it, it, it kind of can start you down that path and kind of, you know, get the ball rolling, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's the biggest hurdle. It's too difficult right now. Even like I, I cover a lot of this in my book, the, the whole idea of terminology, it's just all over the place. You have acceptance, functional, integration, units, uh, request specs, medium tests. There's all, and nobody really knows. I bet if you ask people to define these, these uh, bits of terminology, everyone would have slightly different definitions because it's kind of dependent upon the language or the community. So if you're coming to this stuff and you see all of these different styles of tests, I think the first thing you're going to do is just not do it at all. Right. Like I saw this video, uh, TDD, What Went Wrong, recently. Yeah, that's a good video. Yeah, and he puts things into, into words that, uh, you know, are, are just just make sense. And, and you know, you I've, I had this idea for a long time that when – you write a unit test. It's basically when do you start the next test? It's well, when do you add another function, you know, or when do you add another method, or and all the things. But you know, a, me a new method is not the trigger for for writing a new test. Is basically what he said, and and I think that that video is really um, great for anyone who wants to get into unit testing and who's kind of struggling and who doesn't, 
you know, because you can get into unit testing and you can say, oh, these tests are just such overhead. And and every time I change my code, I have to change my tests, too. And and there's all these um, negatives and these downsides that you suddenly start feeling. And then you may say, OK, well, maybe um, all this testing isn't what it's cut out to be. But then, you know, you watch something like TDD, what went wrong or where did we all go wrong? Something along those lines. And, he you know, he kind of points out that, well, it's really easy to do testing the wrong way. And if you do it the wrong way, then it's going to cause more heartache than it is good. I found um, <laughs> that what you just said, Sean, about you can test the wrong way. I remember when I was trying to test in .NET, when I first got into testing, I was scared to write tests because I was scared I would write them the wrong way because I was always hearing about these, quote, brittle tests. You know what I mean? And um, so I was like, screw it. I'm not writing any tests because I'm just going to write them wrong anyway. <laughs> so... It's kind of intimidating because you feel like, am I wasting my time? Like, are these tests even valuable? Are they even testing anything? You know, especially when you get into like a lot of mocks and stuff. And when you're, when you don't really have your head around that totally, like you wonder, like, am I even testing my code or am I just testing these mocks or whatever? And that can get really confusing really fast. It comes up on IRC a lot where especially like unit testing is great when you're actually building up a class, but a lot of these times when you're, when you're just building like a simple CRUD-based web app, it doesn't really transition over well because I guess the way to look at it is Laravel already has its unit testing. So that can sort of be yeah. your form of, of unit testing, and then you can do more like functional testing. But I get people who like they're trying to test a model, and all the model method will do is is grab some kind of record from the database, maybe with a where clause. And they're like, how do I unit test that? And it's like, well, yeah. if you're, if the traditional kind of unit testing would be you're completely in isolation, so you're just going to make sure that a particular method is called. But then yeah. like your entire test is just making sure that some method is called. It's is that basically really verifying the syntax of your method call. Yeah, and it's like, like, well, that's not really useful at all. Yeah. A cool thing about that video, though, is like he he actually questions a lot of like I was just saying, the idea of unit testing being in isolation, the that video, he, he questions a lot of that. And that's why it's like really important to note when you read some of these books, it's just one possible way. It's just an idea, and there's tons of different approaches. So I think his idea, if I remember correctly, is like unit testing doesn't have to be in isolation. That doesn't mean you can't use other classes. And that very much goes against what plenty of the books and even what some of my book covers so, yeah, we're still figuring this stuff out, especially in the PHP community. It's hard. Yeah. I would say for Laravel, having having the test has been very valuable at that level because, like you said, a framework, a framework really has to have tests, you know, to be pretty trustworthy. And um, the tests have really saved my butt, you know, dozens of times, hundreds of times, I'm sure, on just little things. And mainly the tests, tests have proven valuable for me more on like regressions than testing new stuff because I never write any tests first. Actually, I just always kind of think test first, so to speak. So like as I'm writing stuff, I'm thinking like, is this testable in my head? And usually I can know pretty well if it's going to be testable. And so my, the tests aren't really all that valuable for me in terms of new stuff, but they're really valuable in terms of pull request and, um, making sure we're not breaking stuff going forward. Yeah, especially with pull requests. I don't know how you do it otherwise. Or you're just going to have all these pull requests, and you yeah. basically have no way of knowing if it works it's unless terrifying. you completely try it out. Yeah, it's yeah definitely. That's one of the, that's another one of the slow aspects of the pull request is if someone says that such and such is broken and I don't have, like, a test to test it out with, 
that they give me, like I basically have to recreate that whole situation, and that can be very time-consuming. And then especially if I can't recreate it, it's like, well, uh, I don't even know what to do. You know, I can't – it works on my machine basically. So having having breaking tests uh, for pull requests, like if you raise a bug, a breaking test would be really helpful. That would be cool. It's also a really super easy time to write a test. Like that's uh, the easiest time to test first is when you have something go wrong and you're like, okay, I want to yeah. stop right now. Write a test that basically reaffirms that this is broken and then fix it and basically check that the test goes green. And then, okay, I have a sweet test. Yeah. I think it's one of those things like the better you get, maybe the less test first development is helpful to you. Because if you think like Taylor, in your case, you already know how to structure your applications in a way to make them testable. But these people first getting started, a lot of these guys don't even know what dependency injection is. They have no clue. So like, that's more difficult for them. And we have tools now like this, uh, this new tool aspect mock is really neat, but, um, without that people sort of have to learn how to build for testability. And then that's yeah. another thing. It sometimes feels like we are changing the structure of our applications to make them more testable. And is that necessarily a good thing? Honestly, you're not changing the structure of your application to make them more testable. You're changing the structure to make them less coupled. And the testability is a, a result of that sometimes it depends like i totally get what you're saying and i think that's completely legit but then there's other cases where the only reason you're injecting something is just so it can be swapped out with a mock not always not always decoupling is a good thing but it doesn't it does seem like sometimes we're making our applications less readable to allow for uh dependency injection and testability and then if you look at the ruby world like they're they're not widely using dependency injection yeah, they use uh, one, like one example. One example of that is the file system stuff in Laravel four, where the file system class, which is not, it's not a big class, you know, in Laravel four, but basically it has like a Git method that all it does is file Git contents, and it's basically so the sole purpose of that entire class is just so that I can test file system operations like that. That's the only reason it even exists, and. I've even had to do stuff with like, you know, the time function in PHP to get like a Unix timestamp. I've had to actually make a function called like get time that just returns time just yeah. so I can kind of have a way to test that. There is some weird chick, uh, trick. I have it in my book. I've never actually used it. It's one of those things I learned. It's like you, you apply a namespace in your class and that way whenever you refer to file get contents in the code, it's actually going to refer to your namespaced version of the function. Yeah. And then you can just yeah. return what you want. But honestly, I've never even used it. I usually use a wrapper. For me, I think writing domain logic for, for you know, a regular app, like um, a relatively decently sized application, um, you know, you're using dependency injection and you, you're creating uh, these abstract classes so that you can separate things cleanly and for me what it ends up being is just i'm not thinking okay i'm doing this just to be more testable uh, but i understand in that file system um example that that you know that's exactly like that but what what ends up happening is i end up actually more than ever in my life just picking up classes from one application and dropping them into a new one and it's just there they are. And, um, yeah. and, and so to me, like when you, you know, when you start testing everything and, and your code is, is written in a way that, it, you know, it can all be tested. Suddenly I get the real reuse that I've been searching for, for years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of, one of my favorite parts of the book that I just put out was the part where it talks about 
the controller and the routes basically being just a transport layer into your, quote, real application. And once you kind of have your real application decoupled, like you're saying, Sean, from the kind of um, even the framework exclusive or application exclusive parts or specific parts of the app, then you can mo- you can kind of box up and package up parts of apps and reuse them across other things, like either as a composer package or just something you kind of copy and paste around. But that's really handy. And, and that's one that's one of my favorite aspects of the book is kind of that concept and that chapter. I think reusability is like this this holy grail that everybody's always searching after, but um, it can be harder to create reusable code than I think is usually given credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then, like you said, it, it does feel like sometimes when we're writing tests, it's just nothing but monks, really ugly monks. You're just and you end up having to like spend five minutes to realize like, okay, what exactly is going on here? Yeah, the eloquent te- there's some eloquent tests that are pretty black. I mean, they're like a black hole. Like it's pretty weird. <laughs> that was the hardest component to test by far, I would say. Just because of the nature of it, you know, is kind of funky in terms of testability. To get that fully tested was pretty challenging. Mm. So you mentioned uh Laravel 4.1 is coming out in November. Is that yes. is that right? So do yep. you have anything, any plans regarding that that uh, that we could talk about? Uh, well, with Laravel 4.1, we'll have the new um, SSH uh, component, which is the Illuminate Remote component. And that's like a really – it's kind of a foundation layer to let you uh, build custom tasks on top of that um, do stuff on remote servers. So, for example, like there's already a package out there for Laravel 4.1 called Rocketeer, which is basically um, – a deployment a deployment tool so you can say like php artisan deploy and it remotes into your server and like pulls from github and can run your migrations and does whatever you want so that's one new component it's not a huge component in terms of like code base but it's a pretty cool feature for um writing tasks around deployment and, and junk like that um we also what else do we have for Laravel 4.1? There's going to be some routing uh, tweaks to make the routing engine faster overall, mainly in terms of like when you have like hundreds of routes, um, it can start to get a little slower than we'd like. So we're going to try to um, pick up the pace with the routing engine a little bit. So I'm, I'm almost done with that too. And then uh, just stuff that, you know, people have kind of discussed that have never really gotten nailed down is people continue to kind of talk about assets and stuff and, I don't know if we've totally firmed up a good answer there, even if we want to give an answer at all in terms of asset management. But that's one of the other big things. It's one of those things where it's like there really is no right answer. It's sort of like, well, do whatever you want. But people, I think sometimes they want to know specifically what Taylor recommends. Yeah. and they don't, I don't know, know that I, have, do I haven't I haven't written JavaScript in like a year and a half, so right. <laughs> I'm uh, not the person to ask. It, for me, I think it seems like there's so there's so many tools out there to handle asset management. I, you know, why do I want it in my PHP? If that makes yeah. sense. The thing that scares me about I don't I don't think we can do it in pure PHP. Um, the thing that scares me about that, like there are a few parsers out there for like CoffeeScript and less, but. They're already like behind in terms of what version of CopyScript they support, and I don't. I mean, who maintains them? Does anyone even have the like the patience to maintain that crap? You know what I mean? Going forward, 
So I think having a pure PHP solution, while that would be ideal, like if you had to install no other dependencies at all, that would be awesome. But I just don't think like the tooling exists right now. And so that kind of leaves us like, well, you're going to have to install like Node or something or Ruby. And, you know, why not just use these other tools if, if we're going to go that far? So. And even that, it sounds simple, like installing Ruby is very easy, but yeah. I've had personal experience, like it's not easy for everyone. If they just have some kind of oddity on their system, they can't install yeah. Ruby. Or they do some command and it doesn't work like 99% of everyone else's. So, yeah, yeah it's it's a lot more difficult than it sounds. And also yeah, brings up that question. Sorry. It also brings up this question, like how opinionated should Laravel be when yeah. it comes to stuff like this? Yeah. I mean, that's why I wish we had a pure PHP solution because it can be – Ruby's not – I mean, Ruby's gotten better, like, with the Rails installer and stuff. Installing Ruby is not too bad, but installing Node can be kind of a pain. I mean, I've had pains doing that. And, um, yeah, and, and like you said – or like we've both mentioned now, do we even want to give an answer in terms of asset management? Is that something we even want to speak on? Because a lot of people have really adopted Grunt or Guard or – code kit or whatever by now and really are we trying to solve a problem that people don't even have you know yeah it's with as much um you know work as as laravel itself requires um i can really see how you you would just shun away every even even good ideas that belong that that sound like they could belong in in the framework just move away everything except for the most priority little pieces yeah Mm-hmm. Features yeah. are kind of guilty until proven innocent, so to speak. Like a new feature, like by default, the answer is no, we don't need that. And then you kind of have to prove like that we do. You know what I mean? So it's kind of it's not like the you see a lot of people, the attitude is kind of like, well, if you don't need it, don't use it kind of thing. And that sounds good for everyone else, but it still adds to the maintenance overhead of the framework. And it's it's still stuff we have to keep. You know, we have to write tests for, for example, and we have to make sure it doesn't break. And then it's stuff that anyone who works on the framework like me or anyone else that's like kind of tinkering on with the core, they have to be knowledgeable about that. And it adds a lot of unseen overhead. And I do love the idea with Laravel, like the the mindset is sort of if somebody else is already doing this better than us, then why then why do it ourselves, you know? So yeah. like whether it's whether it's guard or grunt, they are doing such a good job. I, I think it would be honestly a little foolish for Laravel to have its own implementation because you're yeah. never going to compete with these people who that's all they do. They just spend all their time on grunt or even like yeah. how Laravel uses some of the symphony components. Like you're not going to be able to compete with how well tested and, and toyed with they are. So don't even bother just leverage. Yeah. Them. One thing Ian and I were talking about this week actually, which was really cool was on snappy. We looked and we use every single component of Laravel. And then the packages that we pull in are just like third party packages. So like we pull in a, um, uh, what do we pull in? Like a hip chat package, a, a Twilio package for like interacting with these third party APIs or whatever, like SDKs kind of. But that was kind of comforting to me because it was like, okay, here's a really big app, like, you know, a complex app built on Laravel 4 and we used every single feature. And the features that we had to pull in were really just SDKs for other services. So it kind of told me, like, for a real-world complex app, Laravel had all the features basically that we needed and basically none that we didn't. We used everything. So that was a really cool kind of moment this week where we looked at that. 
Uh, I had a similar thing happen to me. Um, I built a, a pretty large scale CMS for like a healthcare megacorp. And, uh, we use everything in Laravel 4. And I think there was only like one thing that I really wish, uh, Laravel 4 had, which would be like polymorphic many to many. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm, guys, you have my word. (laughs) It's just, it's gonna cut off, cut out so much boilerplate when it comes to properly cleaning up relationships and stuff. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's, I really had a a great time writing that out because everything just, it, it went together, um, all, all of the features that I needed were, were covered, um, and all of the stuff that I was pulling in with Composer was, like you said, like the Amazon Web Services SDK, um, yeah. stuff like that. So, um, you know, you just wrap that stuff up in a service provider, maybe make a, a, a class or two in your in your domain, and then you're good to go. Yeah. The best part, too, is you think about like a year ago, People just weren't using Composer. The difference in PHP between now and two years ago is ridiculous when it comes to packages. Yeah, yeah it's, get, it's getting really awesome. I mean, a Composer is just so much tied into the future of PHP, really. And the more awesome packages we have, I mean, the better it is for everyone on every framework. I, I think that I, I wouldn't write... <laughs> So, so, like, there's so many systems. If I had to make a, make a decent sized application at all without using any framework, I would just drop Composer in first thing. Just start, you know, <laughs> holding stuff in with Composer. Yeah, I, the Composer guys don't get enough credit, I don't think, because like, they pretty much labor in relative obscurity. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who who, who <laughs> like, does Composer? I don't even know. Yeah, mm. and, and everyone uses their tool, and like, people like that maintain large frameworks, like Fabian or myself, you know. People talk to us on Twitter, and I, I get the sense kind of look up to people like that. But the composer guys, man, I mean, that's like a tough tool to write, and no one like knows who they are really unless you're kind of on the inside. And I don't know. So shout out to the composer guys. Good job, because, guys. <laughs> yeah, the the tool is awesome. You know, it's like the best thing to happen to PHP in forever. So it gets a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people have a lot of negativity towards it sometimes because it takes a long time to resolve these dependencies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, that, that said, it's one of those things where you don't know what you've got until it's gone, I think. Yeah. Well, it's, it resolved dependencies faster than you can go out to PHP classes dot whatever and pull <laughs> copy and paste a class in. It, it scares me even to think about PHP classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's faster than that. So. And they're basically doing this stuff for free and unless I'm yeah. wrong. That's something like to, to bring up with like donations. I think people would never bother donating $5 or something, but it's sometimes important to remember like when we're using these frameworks and tools, everyone is making money in some way off of these tools, but the people yeah. who actually spend all of their days doing it, like, or yeah. Taylor, for example, it's like, you're, I know there's a community and, and people and cheerleaders that help, but when it comes down to it, you're the guy. And so all these people are, are pulling Laravel for their, their companies or writing books, in my case, or all of these different areas that make you money. And then the person yeah. who built it isn't getting some paycheck off of this. Right, because everybody else has the free time to, to monetize their, their efforts. Yeah, exactly. That's why tools like a, like GitTip, I think I wish people were doing that stuff more because it really does help. Even if it's $5 every once in a while, it really does help, I think. Yeah. I think like the bu- books are a really good opportunity to really um, kind of help. Because like when I think uh, about, um, you know, like your book, Taylor, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll buy that book, you know, just sight unseen. I don't really need to know what it's about. I'll buy it and I'll check it out because, you know, it's it's something that you can do to kind of give back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it is kind of a weird thing though with the industry that um you know we all benefit so much from from these things and and we never really think about how much we get for free yeah it's crazy it really is how much we get i mean i mean just github and <laughs> we use that for free basically and, and but if and it back- breaks oh, everyone's yeah. gonna go insane yeah, and I love then, uh, if GitHub goes down, you will know on Twitter within about ten seconds from pretty much everyone you follow that GitHub is down. And then back on the composer <laughs> thing, we've got to be like spamming their servers hardcore. Like, I mean, just all the Laravel community. Every time you do a composer update or whatever, it's going out to packages or you know, and hitting their servers. Well, somebody somebody knows how all that works. Somebody knows what they're doing and why they're doing it. And yeah. uh, we need we need to get a hold of those people, kind of uh, private eye the whole thing up. Yeah. Taylor, really quick, do you want to kind of tell us where we can get your book? Uh, my book is at leanpub.com slash Laravel. So and, go ahead. And, and Jeffrey, uh, you have a book out on, on testing. Uh, how, how Laravel specific is it? And how uh, just agnostic PHP is it, would you say? Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things I, I wouldn't recommend you buy the book if you didn't use Laravel, but there's a bunch of chapters that are very much Laravel agnostic. So that I mean, it, it starts at the beginning. So if you've never used PHP Unit before, the book will help you. There's a chapter or two dedicated to that, and then uh, it covers other tools like Mockery, which is sort of required at this point if you want to do um, testing. And then it covers Codeception, which I'm a big fan of. That's getting better and better. So it does cover non-Laravel specific stuff, but then it also covers things like how you would test your controllers or how you would test commands. All of this stuff there isn't a huge amount of documentation on right now. So um, I think it would help. And where can you pick that up? It's on LeanPub, too. Uh, LeanPub.com slash Laravel Testing Decoded. Or if you want, just look at the bestsellers list, and all three of our Laravel books are at the top. Uh, uh, that's one of my favorite things. If you want to know whether to switch over to Laravel from whatever you're on, just go to the top of LeanPub, and that just shows how excited people are for um, for this framework. So, so the exciting, third book, yeah, the third book you mentioned, that's Dale, Dale Reese's book, right? Yeah. Yeah, Code Bright. And Dale will be at Laracon uh, in Amsterdam. Oh, good. Nice. I have a coupon for my book. I'll read it on the podcast. So the first person to get this far can get a free copy of the book. Is that good? <laughs> Should I do that? Do it. Okay, it's it's little y. I'll say it again. Jeffrey was kind of laughing. It's little y, eight, six, little d, nine, capital O, little p, little q, Three capital G capital L capital C, boom. I'll have to see. I'll have to see when that coupon goes um, gets used. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Well, um, thank you guys a ton for showing up. We're going to try to make the podcast more of like a every two weeks thing. So we're. I think we found somebody who's going to kind of take it over and maintain it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, hopefully, we can get you guys back on it again. Yeah, I love it.